Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovey and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. It's your post-draft edition of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovey, welcome in. It was a long weekend, and I would never complain about it, that's for sure. We love our jobs, we love being down there, we love being a part of the action. But the one thing I'm going to complain about a little bit is we got our expectations up that we we're going to be done and Brandon Bean is going to be talking to us. And then that darn GM just kept trading down and made it all kind of last even longer, Matt. But that's OK. We got through it and it was a long weekend, but a fun one. Yeah, I mean, we went into it thinking there was going to be six picks. Then we thought there was going to be five picks because he moved up and things looked great. We went into Saturday thinking, wow, there's only going to be two picks that the Bills make. This should be a pretty quick and easy day for us. And then he traded back three separate times and they ended up having two seventh round picks. So I do think from a draft strategy standpoint, awesome idea. Get ammunition for next year's draft. Yeah. Add more picks. But from a, it was a long weekend, that one kind of stung. Because legitimately, those three trades back probably kept us at the facility for three more hours. But now it is complete. And they did walk away with a total of six picks, just like they had when they went in. And as you said, trading for next year, I really liked the fact they did that. We'll talk about that a little bit here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. We thank you for joining us. And you can always download, subscribe. It's not just the audio, it's the video. Go to Sal Sports on YouTube, but we always have it right there for you as soon as we can on the YouTube, on the uh, excuse me, iTunes or Spotify feed, and of course, the Odyssey app. So thanks a lot for coming aboard, especially a lot of new listeners. I know we have a lot of them after our Mike North podcast. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about the schedule maybe towards the end of this thing. All right, so let's just get into the draft. Let's look back, Matt. What are your general overall impressions of the draft, anything that stood out to you just overall about the Buffalo Bills 2023 draft and draft class? Listen, Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, said after the draft that it just kind of fell this way. It was not an intentional idea to go after offensive weapons. But that being said, it's hard not to ignore that they used their biggest picks, their most important picks on guys on offense to protect Josh Allen and to give him another threat in the passing game. So I really liked that because I thought that going into it, Offense needed to be the focus. Now, I don't know if it was intentional. Brandon says that it wasn't, but I like that it worked out that way because 
We spent a lot of time talking about wide receivers and kudos to you credit where it's deserved. You were the first person that I heard to bring up the tight end idea that was months ago. And then they ended up following through with it, getting what many believe to be was the best tight end in the entire class with Dalton Kincaid. So I know it's been a lot of people have kind of made fun of the don't think of him as a tight end. Think of him as a weapon whole idea, even though he is a tight end. But I just think he's makes the Bills offense better. I think he is somebody who they can utilize in the passing game with a skill set that they haven't had. And Osiris Torrance, what a luxury pick to be able to take a guy who you don't need to immediately have come step in right away. But if he wins a job, then that means there's probably a really good competition happening in training camp. And you're going to need some guys, especially on your interior offensive line with know the status of Mitch Morse uncertain down the road like you know there's a chance Ryan Bates could move over and play center at some point and then you can have Torrance go in and play guard and then you still feel really comfortable about your starting five so I I just really liked the focus on the offensive side of the ball yeah that was one takeaway from me as well we'll get into those specific picks as well but I think the general theme of this has been what it's been all offseason so, Matt, let's take a look at this offseason. It's pretty wild, actually, when you think about it. I went and I tweeted out, actually, at Cell Sports, the number of additions this offseason on the offensive side and the number of additions on the defensive side. When I say additions, I mean somebody who was not on the Bills roster, whether it active roster or practice squad at the end of the season, who is now on the roster. New faces. Because some guys were on the practice squad. They signed futures contracts. Those aren't additions. Those are guys that are with the organization. All right, let me run through. Offense, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. This is after the draft is not counting UDFAs, undrafted free agents that we know are starting to sign. Eleven of them. Got a quarterback, a running back, a tight end, three wide receivers, and five offensive linemen, including four straight guards and one that can play guard as well. On the defensive side, Matthew Bove. Yeah. How many players have the Bills added this offseason since the end of last season, I'm not talking even when free agency started. Since the end of last season, new additions, new faces to this defense. Do you know? One. Four total. Four. So I can think of Taylor Rapp. That's one. AJ Wait. Klein does not count. No. No, no. Jordan. I'm talking dra- drafted players, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the players total from the... Of four. So, Alex Austin. Yep. Uh... The guy they drafted. Williams, 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 Williams right? from this weekend. And then the other exactly. one was a guy named Zane Anderson. They signed right after the season who was on the Chiefs practice squad. Didn't get a futures deal. That was it. He wasn't Good. even in free agency. Didn't get that far. So the point I'm making is this. You're right. Counting draft picks. 11 new additions on the offensive side. Yeah. Four new additions on the defensive side. This has been a theme all offseason to bring in more offense, to protect yeah. Josh Allen, to give him more weapons. And the Bills told us this. If you listen closely, they told us this. They talked a lot about those specific areas and wanting to make sure they improve. If you go back to the combine, you go back to free agency, all these press conferences, places we talked to Brandon Bean, we talked to Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott even said at one point, Josh was maybe getting a little bit too much pressure up the middle, had to release the ball a little too quick. They have to get guys that can you know, be open for him and available to him then. They have to protect him a little more. He's taking too many hits. They don't want him to take so many hits. They talked about this, and here we are, 11 offensive additions. Only four in defense, which is surprising to me, considering they did lose Tremaine. You do have a new play caller. 
but I'm not surprised at all, thinking back to the things that they said to us back in the offseason, that they have severely and seriously, I should say, attacked the offensive side of the football. Well, I know that sometimes the last game of the year gets overblown because all of your mistakes get magnified, but they scored 10 points in that game against a Bengals defense. That's good, but certainly not like one of the best defensive units in the NFL. And it was kind of a slow burn. It felt like, I don't want to say the wheels fell off, but it never really felt like after the beginning of the season, the offense was clicking to the level it was against the Rams and against the Titans. Then you go to Miami and you lose a game. Then you go to the Ravens and you squeak out a game. You squeak out a win against the Chiefs, even though you didn't have an unbelievable day offensively. Yeah, there was the Steelers game mixed in there where they had the offensive explosion. But I just remember, I specifically remember sitting there in Detroit for the Browns game and the Bills fell behind in that game. And you're watching the offense and you're just like, man, these guys just don't look right. Like they don't look like they're in sync. They don't look like they can continuously be the threat that they were in years past. And I even remember having the conversation what is Dorsey's outlook? Like, would they fire him halfway through his first season on the job? Obviously, that didn't happen. But then the next week, we went back to Detroit again, and the offense kind of sucked again in that Thanksgiving game until the absolute end of the game when Josh threw that dart to Stefan Diggs and they went on the last second kick. And then that kind of continued for a while. There were some good games mixed in. I think part of that was also the Josh Allen injury, but it felt like the offense got stale. It got predictable, and they needed to inject talent on the line and at their playmaking positions, and that's what they've made an effort to do. Now, none of them have been massive splashes, but that's just the reality of the situation because they didn't have a ton of money to go out there and spend. If this team had more money, I think they would have added Odell Beckham. I think they would have tried to get DeAndre Hopkins or would be more actively pursuing DeAndre Hopkins, but they don't. So then they went with guys like Deontay Hardy, and Trent Shurfield, and using a first-round pick on Dalton Kincaid, because those are the things that they can afford. And I think this is going to be a process. I think we saw it this year, but I also don't think this is going to be like the one-year outlier, and they're just going to put a Band-Aid on it and say, okay, the offense is fixed. I think this is going to be an effort moving forward, because they know their best chance of winning is by Josh Allen taking them to the Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. So you might as well surround him with as much talent as possible. There was another theme that came out of it for me. I'll get to that in a second. I want to touch on your Dorsey point, which is really interesting because there was no chance they were going to do that halfway through the season, but I get no. it. I mean, there were a lot of critics, right? I mean, the, the offense started to sputter a little bit, and Brandon Bean even said that in his post-draft presser, which was, you know, it didn't seem like they were in sync at times, whether it was the line or Josh or – he didn't want to point fingers, right? But he just said they weren't in sync. I think this draft, going back to what I said and what you said as well about the offensive theme, this draft reads to me – like Ken Dorsey gave Brandon Bean a shopping list, right? Mm -hmm. He said, hey, this is what I need. I really want, but I'm going to go even back further. I think Ken Dorsey wanted this, the the tight end piece of it last year. I think Mm -hmm. that's why they signed OJ Howard. I think Ken Dorsey wanted to do this type of thing. He wanted to have a bigger type of slot receiver, a guy that could be an outlet in the slot. They could run 12 personnel more than anything. Even that a guy that could run 12 personnel with to put defenses in a bind. I went back, Matt, and look, Ken Dorsey, You're a young guy, Matt. You might not remember this, but (laughs) Ken Dorsey was the quarterback of maybe the greatest college football team ever offense, at least until LSU came along just a few years ago. I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm I'm proud of myself, actually. All right. And Ken Dorsey in four years of Miami, he actually left Miami as the winningest college football quarterback ever, but he really was 
he was the quarterback of some of the greatest offenses and teams we've ever seen. And he wasn't a great college quarterback. He was a really good one. But what made him a great quarterback, what made him a winning quarterback was he utilized all of those offensive weapons. And in the four years he was the quarterback at the University of Miami, his tight end was his leading receiver, third in receptions, second in receptions, and first twice, including Jeremy Shockey, Bubba Franks, and Kellen Winslow Jr. And then when we talked to him last year when he got the job, I said, what did you learn about being the quarterback of those teams with those weapons? And he said, I learned to give the ball to those weapons, find them. It doesn't matter. Just get them the ball in space. You have to utilize those guys. I think Ken Dorsey has always wanted to do this, but now it's on him to make it work. But to me, this right reads like a shopping list he gave to Brandon Bean. All right, let's start with the Dalton Kincaid thing and feed off of that because I feel like the two most common criticisms I have heard of the pick, actually, I'm going to say the three most common criticisms I have heard of the pick are one, this was not a need. Okay, for me, if that's your opinion, totally respect it. Throw that out the window because they don't care about needs. They're not drafting for their biggest needs. They're drafting for their favorite football players. And I know that sounds cliche, but I genuinely think it's true. Two, Dawson Knox contract. A lot of people have said, why would you draft a tight end after just signing Dawson Knox contract? You can look at that specific point in two ways. One, I wonder if they regret giving the contract that they did when they did it. But at the same time, they love Dawson. Josh loves Dawson. He's still a really good player and can play a very important role on this team. And then the sidebar to that is, hey, now you've got Dawson Knox making a bunch of money, but you also have a second tight end who's going to be very cost-controlled for basically the exact same time frame. So it makes a little bit of sense there. And then the third and final point is the one that I've said seen so many times. They don't even use the tight ends they have now. Why would they go out and get somebody else? And the answer to that is they don't use the tight ends now because they might not have the skill set that they're looking for to utilize them, like you said, in what Ken Dorsey... Ken Dorsey is envisioning this offense could ultimately look like. I think there's going to be times when we see both of them on the field at the same time. I think there's going to be things that they can do to switch things up to really keep defenses on their toes. And I know Dalton Kincaid isn't this great blocker, but he's going to be okay. Like, it's not like you, he can't block. You're just going to have to be a little bit more creative with it. I love that this forces the bills to change their identity a little bit, because like I said, I thought they got stale, And I think that that's an added layer to this. Now it's on the coaching staff. It's kind of like what we talked about with McDermott. Like, listen, you're calling the shots on defense now. It's kind of on you. For the Bills now on offense, you kind of went all in on offense this offseason. Now it's on the players and the coaches. And the coaches are going to be on a hotter seat than the players are. You did a really good job to lay out the whole Dawson Knox piece of it and contracts and throwing the ball to tight ends. I'm going to go back to the need piece real quick, which is, did they need a tight end? I put air quotes here for all those listeners. We're also streaming, right? And we're live. Not live. We're recorded. We're on YouTube. You get, you get a video piece of this. But I'm doing the air quotes thing for those who don't see it. Um, did they need a tight end? No, they have a tight end. They have a really good tight end. His name is Dawson Knox. But what they needed was another pass catcher to create mismatches in the middle of the field. So, yes, it was a need. It just wasn't a need. It's a traditional tight end role. That's, I think, where the confusion comes from. And when people say, don't think of him as a tight end. Think of him as a weapon. I agree with that. That's exactly what he is. But the Bills say he's a tight end. But they're going to go, they call it 11 and a half personnel because he's not quite the blocker. And to be honest with you, I don't think they care about his blocking at this point. They're going to train him to be a blocker. He's going to be better at that as he goes on. He's going to be in their strength and conditioning program. 
he is going to be a big slot receiver. That's what he's going to be. I thought it was really interesting when Brandon Bean himself basically said he's Cole Beasley, but in a tight end's body, right? I mean, Cole Beasley is 5'8", 175. This guy is 6'3", 6'4", 240. I mean, think about all the things he can do in the mismatches he could have in the slot. They needed, not a tight end, they needed a guy like that. I wonder, we will never know the answer to this question. Pro- literally, we'll never know. I wonder what they would have done if one of the receivers was still on the board right. of the big four. I think Quentin Johnson, actually, I'm going to take him out of it. I don't know if, I think they would have still taken Dalton Kincaid over Quentin Johnson. But I wonder if Zay Flowers or Jordan Addison were still there, what they would have done. Because they traded up to get Dalton Kincaid. It just happened to happen after the run on receivers went. Like, we don't know if they were trying to get up to 21, 22 to get one of those receivers. But I wonder if this was just go into it, we're going to try and take an offensive playmaker and we're going to adjust our identity accordingly. Or if it was, we want a tight end. But based off of all of the things that they said, like Michael Mayer was a guy that we talked about on the podcast a little bit. It does not feel like they were in the business of looking for a player like Michael Mayer. It looked like they were in on somebody who could really be a difference maker offensively. That's not like what they had. Like Michael Mayer is a really good player and a really good prospect, but he's closer to Dawson Knox than Dalton Kincaid is to Dawson Knox. He's not, he's a guy who does a lot of things. Well, nothing great. Dalton Kincaid catches great. And I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what he does. He's a, he might be the best pass catcher, not even best pass catching tight end best, best pass catcher, including wide receivers in this entire class. And he's going to play this year, which brings me to my other theme about this draft. Hey, it's Sal Capaccio from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things Buffalo Bills. Right on time, your time. In the car, navigate the streets with NFL wisdom in your ear. We accompany every errand you need to run. Washing the windows or vacuuming the carpets? Don't just clean, conquer. Podcasts make you more productive because we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow It's Always Game Day in Buffalo in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Matt, what I think about this draft is not just that they attack the offense, but if you think back to the criticism, I think rightfully so, of last year, their rookie class didn't contribute as much as they wanted them to, as much as they should have, as much as they would have hoped or whatever. Look at the Chiefs. They win the Super Bowl. They get all these rookie contributions. This has been something people have talked about. I think the Bills said in this draft, we need this rookie class to contribute this year. This is not going to be about the future. This is not going to be about drafting Terrell Bernard in the third round to take over for Tremaine Edmonds. Even though Brandon Bean said, we only have one-year deals on all these defensive tackles, they didn't take one. It's not about the future. This draft to me was about two things, offense and getting guys on the field now. He mentioned specifically Justin Shorter and Dorian Williams, how 
we drafted them because we felt they will get a jersey this year. That is the GM telling you we drafted guys specifically over other guys because they have a better chance to actually be on the field on game day. I see what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I also think given where those players were drafted, it's also probably a pretty foregone conclusion that they should be earning a jersey. I guess it's just a matter of how they're going to be used because Osiris Torrance is going to be on the team, but we don't know if he's going to start. Justin Shorter is going to make the team. I don't really think he's going to start. Well, wait a minute, Matt. Now, a foregone conclusion. See, this is the issue, though. A.J. Epinesa didn't get one. Boogie Basham didn't get one. They were inactive. They were two second-round picks who did not. And my point is, I think they look back and say, like, we can't have that. We need guys who are playing for us week one of the season. Well, that brings me to the Dorian. I don't want to jump ahead here, but that's why, for me, if you had to tell – if you had to ask – if I had to say which pick was the most head-scratching – to me, it was Dorian Williams. Correct. And I it agree. has nothing to really do with even the player. It just has more to do with the situation mm-hmm. and him saying, like, oh, we think he can earn a jersey, all this stuff. But how's he going to get on the field? Like, you're not drafting a guy in the third round to be a special teams contributor and a backup Mike linebacker. But why not? Why do why, you think a guy in the third round has to be a starter? I don't. I mean, no. the, the, Bills, played 70, the Bills played 73 players last year. Mm-hmm. Like a, a backup third, a third rounder who's a backup is fine. It's a contributor. And if he plays all special teams, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, I see that point, but I guess the question becomes if you are drafting for immediate impact, maybe should there have been an emphasis put on a position where that impact can be like, greater? Where would that be? Well, I, I think it was hopefully for them defensive tackle and that didn't ultimately end up okay, happening. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. All right. Let's play this out for a second. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give our, friend John Scott credit for this because we had the same debate in the media room and he said this John Scott from uh, Spectrum News let's just say they did that I don't agree I don't disagree I thought they would have I was actually on the they're gonna take one here like I was saying they're gonna take one they never did they never took one throughout the whole weekend uh-huh. here are your defensive tackles right now Ed Oliver Daquan Jones Tim Settle Jordan Phillips your top four Matt the Bills only keep four they rarely keep five on the roster you draft yeah. one in the third round who's not making the team um Maybe Tim Settle. That's my oh, guess. Tim, no way. I think Tim Settle is he even they even restructured his deal. Like I think I, I mean he would have been over underwhelming. Maybe. I mean it could happen. Anything could happen. Jordan Phillips would be maybe the first guy I'd get to, but yeah. and, and you do have injuries. My point is a third round rookie to me is not beating any of those players out. No, but I don't think a third round rookie is getting on the field and really any meaningful snaps on defense considering who he's the primary backup for and the other guys in that linebacker room. The thing about the defensive line is they rotate those guys. They really don't rotate the linebackers nearly as much as they do with the defensive line. But none of the defensive linemen play special teams either. That's a good point. Okay. So it kind of goes both ways. I just don't think that given his size and his skill set, that we're going to see him lined up next to Matt Milano consistently. I think it could happen here or there. I also think back to Terrell Bernard last year, like you used the same asset on that guy and he's been in your system now. So now it's the time to showcase him to see what he has. So that just buries you even further down the depth chart. And like Tyrell Dodson's going to get a shot. He's been around forever. Like they're going to give him a shot before they give Dorian Williams a shot, or at least you would think they would. Brandon even kind of said those guys are the leaders in the. Cl- I think he said Tyrell. I think he said Tyrell. Here's why I think it's really yeah. weird to me. Actually, it's kind of funny. After they drafted Williams, he indicated that he's just going to play outside and back up Matt Milano. 
But on Sunday when he, he spoke to us, he, he kind of indicated, yeah, he kind of indicated that okay, well, we might give him a shot in the middle. I don't disagree with your overall point. I want to tell you that that they kind of just replicated what they did last year. And they already have a lot of guys there. In fact, I mean, almost exactly replicated it. Bernard was the 89th pick overall. He's six one two twenty four, and Williams is the ninety first pick. He's six one two twenty nine. I think the same player, right? But what I'm saying is, you still have to have backups in this league, mm-hmm. and a third rounder on this team. It's tough to. It's tough for anybody to start. I don't know. You know, I mean, they they have a good roster. So if you take a third round linebacker and he winds up being the backup will linebacker on game days and play special teams, I have zero problem with that. Yeah, I guess it all comes down to, though, the same thing with Terrell Bernard, because in my head, I've still always thought of him being the primary backup behind Matt Milano. It would be disappointing if Terrell Bernard doesn't what? win the mic now, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess. After, the, after, the, after a year of investment in him in the third round? Probably. And Tremaine Edmonds leaving? Who would you say right now would be your favorites to start? Really, let's let's do the entire defense. But start with the linebackers and then the line and the DBs and stuff. The the DBs and the you know D line are a lot easier well, than the linebackers. Tre'Davious White and Kyrie Elam, I think. I think yep. I think Kyrie Elam probably steps up to be the first round pick. At least you know he he'll have that shot, and I think he wins. Yeah. Um. We know it's going to be Hyde and Poyer. Yeah. Uh, we know Rap will be a backup safety on the D line. It's going to be Daquan Jones and Ned Oliver. Right. You're going to have yep. Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips as your backups. And then at defensive end, it's Greg Rousseau and Von Miller until Von Miller's ready. I think it's probably Shaq Lawson, but who knows? I mean, unless AJ Epinesa has a really good camp, although I think he's roster status could be in flux depending, but that's what it looks like to me. You go to linebacker, it's Matt Milano. And then there's the debate. It's going to be a competition. It's going to be Bernard Dodson, Bale inspector, right? I mean, who knows? Oh Watch yeah. We, we didn't even mention, there, yeah, we right? didn't mention Bale inspector. AJ Klein, sure. he will not start. I will tell you that right now. I, I don't think he will, but I think he'll be like, he'll probably make the team because they want a veteran oh, backup. Yeah. Yeah, I think he'll be the guy. I think they'll utilize him the same way they did in years past, where like if an, a team is going heavy on them or if it's yes. a play where you think they're going to run it, like you're going to put him out there. You also, I mean, it, it's a foregone conclusion, but Taron Johnson is also going to be starting for this defense. Yes, yes, yes. So um, that's your that's your eleventh guy, of course. Yeah. So I I just think if you said right now who are the starting linebackers, I think Dorian Williams is like the fourth name that I get to now, maybe he comes in and has an unbelievable training camp. Like we don't know. I, I can't sit here and lie to you and say that I watched every two lane football game and I know exactly what the bills are getting, but it was interesting that Brandon was asked the difference between Balen Spector and Dorian Williams. And he didn't say this exactly, but it almost felt like they really liked the potential of Williams and they really liked the productivity of Bernard. It's like you're kind of get projecting two different things. Yeah. One of them is like we have seen this guy make massive plays on a football field for a really big school in Baylor and we think this other guy can be a really really good player. And that's kind of the t- the takeaway that I had from the linebackers and how those two differentiate themselves. Well, the one thing we're sure of that we know, they didn't take a legitimate surefire starter week one by going in the first round for a Jack Campbell, like the lions did, or even mm-hmm. drew Sanders when he was on the board, this yeah. is going to be a competition. There are also some veteran uh, veteran linebackers out there that, you know, wouldn't rule out bringing them in, but this is going to be an interesting competition in camp. I could see it going anyway. Um, and I, I do think though that taking the same kind of linebacker right there when 
these guys are already fighting is a bit of a head scratcher. We'll see how it shakes out. In the meantime, I could say the same thing about Justin Shorter, the wide receiver they took out of Georgia. I mean, sorry, out of Florida, excuse me, because I, he said he'll get a jersey. He's yeah. going to be a core special teamer. You can project out and think he's Gabe Davis's replacement. I don't know. I don't want to think that no. way. He'd have to have a really, really impressive rookie season. But no. to have an impressive rookie season, he'd have to be on the field a lot. I don't see a lot of snaps for this guy either, except playing on special teams. Yeah, which is interesting because he does have a different skill set. He immediately comes into the Bills wide receiver room as their biggest wide receiver. Yep. They've got two guys who are 6'4", but he's a little bit heavier. So maybe he gets red zone looks. Maybe he gets some play, more play on offense than we think he was going to. But I don't know how. Like, unless there's injury, a lot of injuries, because you would think, let's go down the list. Tar those targets are going to go to Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, Khalil Shakir, and, okay, we just named five guys. And it's by the way, how much did Brandon Bean talk about Khalil Shakir and how much they like him in that press conference on like Sunday? A lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Yes. Now, I wonder if that's kind of temper, not tempering. I wonder if they went into this trying to get somebody who could really be an impact slot wide receiver, like a, like a Josh Downs or like a Jordan Addison or one of those guys. And they didn't. And now they're like, okay, that's fine. We still really trust Khalil. So I, I do think that he is going to have a nice season because I like his skill set. I like that he made some big plays for the team. We really liked him in training camp last year. We've talked about this on the podcast before. One of the things that I think the Bills do that's a little bit to their fault is they lean into experience a little bit too much. I've thought this for a while. I think like, okay, you trust these guys because of experience instead of taking the chance on some of these younger players. And I felt a little bit that way last year with Cole Beasley coming back at the end of the season with the Jamison Crowder addition, you know, obviously gets hurt, even with Isaiah McKenzie. Like after a while, those didn't seem to be working. So in my head, I'm like, why isn't Shakir getting on the field more? Now, we don't see everything. Maybe he's not practicing as well as they would like him to or producing as well as they would like him to. But eventually you got to, you know, roll the dice and you got to take a risk with these younger players. So, yeah, I, I think Shakir is going to be pretty involved in this offense moving forward. Well, they also took two guards and we haven't talked about their second round pick, Osiris Torrance. But let's limp, lump him in with Nick Broker, the guard they took out of all this, because they really have attacked the interior of the offensive line. As I said, they now signed Connor McGovern, David Edwards, and drafted Osiris Torrance and Nick Broker. They also uh, brought in Kevin Jarvis. Don't expect him necessarily to be a factor, but he also could be you know, considered a guard as well. Osiris Torrance. Here's the question that, that I'll, um, I guess I'll just ask you. Does he beat out Ryan Bates or Connor McGovern for a starting job? Goes back to the thing I just said. I think they sometimes trust the veterans and the guys who have been here a little bit more than maybe some other teams do. We don't know. He could come into training camp and he could look like he's an unbelievable player and should be on the starting line immediately. Or he could come in and say, this guy's going to need a little bit of time to get to where he's trying to go. I think he's going to play snaps for this team. I don't know if it's going to be consistent. The one thing I will say is offensive line is a position that gets just banged up every yep. year. You know what I mean? Like, You've got Ike sure. Butker coming back off of a season-ending injury the year before. Mitch Morris has had concussion problems. Spencer Brown was battling injuries last year. Ryan Bates, I, I think, had a couple injuries, if memory serves me correct, last year. Like, you're going to get different combinations on the field. So I like that you're investing in that position. I also like having a guy like Ryan Bates because you can kind of move him anywhere. 
And I think that that makes Torrance's job yes. a little bit easier because if he definitely, if he comes to camp and you're like, this guy needs to be playing, you can still utilize Ryan Bates in other ways. And I, and I almost think this move is a little bit as much about 2024 as it is about 2023. I like how you said that. I think because you think about Mitch Morris's situation, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's had concussions. People have wondered what his future looks like. He was a, he was the bills. I thought best offensive lineman last year, but those things are reality and his, you know, contract number and things like that. So if, if you move on from Mitch Morris after this year, for whatever reason, by the way, not rooting for it. Like I said, he was a really good player yeah. for them and hopefully he still plays a long time. But if you do happen to move out, if something were to happen, you could slide Ryan Bates to center. He still has three more years left on his deal, a little over $4 million a year. It's not really expensive. You could no. live with him as a backup, but he could be your starting center. And then Osiris Torrance could also be your starting guard. So I like that. They have a lot of flexibility. They have a lot of guys like that, by the way. They love their flexible offensive linemen. Connor McGovern's as flexible as they come. They can do a lot. By the way, Ryan Bates even played tackle in preseason one year. So mm-hmm. those are areas. Are you surprised they didn't draft a straight-up tackle? And, you know, especially a right tackle, maybe, to give a little bit of competition for Spencer Brown. A little bit, but it felt like, and this is kind of what Brandon also alluded to, it felt like Torrance was the outlier left on the board with the offensive lineman as an entire group, and they strictly went best player available regardless that he's interior and not somebody who has the versatility. And it also feels like that's part of the reason why he slid. Like a lot of these teams really value versatility. It does not sound like Osiris Torrance has almost any versatility. Like even, is it, is it broker? Is that how you pronounce it? I think it is broker. Like even they said he can snap. They don't know if he could do it consistently, but they're like, he has snapped. He started games at tackle. He started games at guard. Like Osiris Torrance is a guard. And for some teams, maybe that's why they passed on him because they wanted somebody who has a little bit more versatility, but Hey, for the bills, you have to be thrilled with that. Might've drafted the best interior offensive lineman in the draft with that pick. I know a lot of people think that they did. I mean, we do leading up to the draft, we did 10 prospect profiles. We featured 10 different players who made sense for the bills to draft, whether it was in the first round or just early in the draft, like on a day two pick. And Torrance was one of the guys we featured. And we were talking about him, not as a second round pick, but as a first round pick, just from all of the different things that we've read and analysts we've talked to. So I think that's probably pretty consensus, the Bills' best pick in this draft, because the value was just too good to pass up. And then they rounded out their draft class with a cornerback, Alex Austin from Oregon State. I guess it's what you do, Matt. You draft corners, because in the in the NFL, you can never have enough corners. I don't see much of a path for him. Probably more of a project guy, a guy that I'd be surprised if he made the roster, especially if everybody's healthy. And if you expect Tredavious White to be healthy, which no reason why you shouldn't, um, and to be you know back to Tredavious White, you have Tredavious White, you have Kyer Elam, you have Christian Benford, who doesn't have to go to safety now with the additions they made there with Taylor Rapp and Zane Anderson and the guys they have. You have Dane Jackson still in the roster. I think it's um you have obviously Taron Johnson in the slot. Cam Lewis can play the slot if you want. So to me, this is just something you do. You draft corners to have them in your system and put them on the practice squad. One general observation really about the bills in general, and this is after free agency and it's after the draft. I know there was no massive splash this season. There was no Von Miller addition. There was no like drastic changes to the team. But it feels like there was also an emphasis on just adding important depth almost across the board. Like if you look at the offensive line depth chart right now, it is substantially better than it was. If you look at the running back depth chart, you lose Singletary, but you probably really like Damian Harris. And now you're going in with Damian Harris, James Cook, and Naheem Hines. Like you trust those guys. At tight end, 
you just added a first round pick. So now it's not just Dawson Knox and a massive drop off. It's Dawson Knox and a guy who is a first round pick, even at wide receiver, like you paid Deontay Hardy, you paid Trent Sherfield to come here and round out your team. You've got some depth there. And then defensively, you just mentioned the safeties. The safeties is really notable with Taylor Rapp coming in. That yeah. was not something we saw and getting Poyer back and having a healthy hide. And then with the corners, it's just more depth because they're healthy this year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I guess the one area where you could say that's not the case is the defensive line. But there's enough people there that you can probably piece things together. All right. Brandon Bean did make a couple of trades. Let's discuss that and get to some of your questions. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ten draft picks next year if the Bills do get their third-round compensatory pick, which everybody's expecting. As of right now, they'll have nine draft picks next year, one through seven, plus the two sixth, the extra sixth that um, we're going to be traded for in this draft for next year, and they're most likely getting a third-round compensatory pick. Matt, I'll put you on the spot one year early. All right, you got like 362 days here to try to predict this. Um, of the 10 draft picks they will should have next year, how many draft picks do they actually use in 2024? One, because they're going to trade all 10 of them to whoever is available to take Marvin Harrison Jr. This is it. all of the ammunition that I they need it. to move up the board. No, I bet they make eight picks next year. And yeah. they use two of the other picks to try and jump up ahead of people or move their way up and down the board. And and I like that it gives them flexibility because I think another reason why some people have been critical of the Dalton Kincaid pick was because they had to give up something to leapfrog Dallas. I've heard people say they panicked, they panicked. Like they could have just sat there and got him. I don't believe that no. to be true. I think Dallas, Dallas would have taken him. I think Dallas would have taken him. I think so, we are, I think we have enough info by now to realize that would have been true. Well, they used their second round pick on a tight end. Like what a coincidence yeah. that was. So yeah, I think the Bills did what they needed to do to get their playmaker. I think when you have more picks though, that's a little bit easier of a pill to swallow when you try and, you know, finagle your way and jump up the board a couple of times. Like I mean, think about it next year. You're gonna have this extra third round pick from the comp pick. Like you could go from late yeah. in the first round to the high twenties with yep. that extra third round pick. That's just kind of a freebie because you're still going to have your own third round pick. Yeah. I like what he did because of what you just said, the flexibility, but also this is, this is regarded universally next year as a better draft than this year. So you have mm -hmm. better prospect, a better prospect pool to choose from with these extra picks. So I like that uh, Brandon Bean did that. All right. Uh, you want to get to some questions? You threw it out earlier on Twitter at Matt underscore Bove and at Sal sports. Yeah. All right. So this is, there's a couple of good ones here. This one is from Corey. He says struggling to formulate a question, but I'm interested in any thoughts, indications about Dorsey adapting in the second year with the absence of Frazier. So McDermott focusing on defense and how different could the bills look from the last two seasons? I think it's an interesting question because basically he's saying Sean McDermott's going to have his hands full with the defense. So maybe 
Ken Dorsey is going to have even more control of the offense, which is, I think, maybe scary for people because it's not like the offense was dynamite last year. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. I like that the personnel they have is going to force them to adapt a little bit. I think if you just bring the band back together, you can get a little bit stale. And I think last year, I'm sure there were things that Dorsey tried to do that were unique to Dorsey, but I think you also, there's a lot of pressure and there's also a lot of just reason to try and keep doing what Brian Dable had so much success doing like Ken Dorsey. This is your second year. Like I want to see what you want the offense to look like, not what you think is going to always work. I want to see what you think you can do with this offense. So, so I think that is a valid point and I'm, I'm excited to see that. And I think McDermott and Dorsey are kind of in the same bucket here for this very reason, which is the pressures on Dorsey to kind of use these weapons that, like I said, I think he he's wanted this. I think he got what he wanted this year. To me, that's the way it reads. And Sean McDermott put the pressure on himself to now be the defensive play caller, right? Which is, Hey, I'm going to do this. I, I'm, I'm excited to see that actually, which is, Hey, you're, you had a chance to get another defensive coordinator to get a play caller. You're doing it yourself because you're saying, put this on me. Well, I think Ken Dorsey's saying, put this on me. Sean McDermott's saying, put this on me. Let's see how it works out. And I think we are going to see a philosophical change on both sides of the ball, a little bit at least, not maybe major, but enough to be noticeable, like we said, with the Kincaid pick and the 12 personnel on um, offense. And then I think maybe we'll see how they use maybe more three safety looks and things mm -hmm. like that on defense. Yeah, I'm interested to see that. All right, this question. Any bigger name post-draft UFAs you think are likely? And they specifically mentioned Ford and Gakwe. Anybody who you think makes sense? And I conveniently have in front of me a list of a lot of the big names, if you want me to read some Okay, of them well, off. here's what I'll ask you, because you have the list in front of you. I would say defensive end. That's where you find you most I of agree. your good name veteran players that I think they could be in the market for after after the deadline to sign players that affect the comp pick formula, which whatever date that is, I don't remember. It's mid-May, I think. What are the names there? Because I think that's the position. All right. So I'll tell you the top three that jump out to me. Jadavian Clark and, like he mentioned, Yannick Ngakwe. Puna Ford is also on the list, but he's a defensive tackle. But I think if you can get any of those three players here to say, listen, we really lean into a rotation. Von Miller is going to be eased back into things. Whether he's ready, right, or not remains to be seen. Come be our starter with Greg Rousseau. And then when Von comes back, then you're going to rotate with him and you're going to rotate with Rousseau. And of the three names that are there, I don't know. I guess it would all come down to money. Like, I don't know what Frank Clark wants or Ngakwe wants or what Clowney wants, but any of them would be a smart addition. Because you don't know when Von Miller is going to be ready. Now, if they had intel that said Von Miller is going to be totally ready week one, I don't think it's as pressing. But if you think Von Miller, especially if you think, hey, we're going to have to keep his the load lightly on him, you know, lighten his load for the first, you know, six, seven, eight, ten, seventeen 17 games before yeah. the playoffs, I think that becomes much more of a real possibility. All right, so here's another question. Um, thoughts on if the Bills will sign a veteran linebacker or just roll with the options that they have? I think until any of these guys until the group gives them a reason to sign one. Well, they already did. They signed AJ Klein. That's the guy they mm -hmm. signed a veteran linebacker. They signed AJ Klein. to me. They're set. Unless one of these guys, none of these guys steps up. I guess that's the way I'll say it. And they say, we got to go get somebody. All right. And then this one is from Jay. Could Spencer Brown benefit from the Osiris Torrance pick? And do you think this was considered with the pick given beans affinity for Brown? What do you think? I don't know what that means. 
I think how he's basically how how would he be benefited just by having a better player next to him? Yeah, I think maybe taking less of a workload just because you could potentially have a better interior I don't presence. Think that matters at all. I don't think it has anything to do with it, to be quite honest. Sorry, whoever asked that question. I don't think I don't think I don't think taking Osiris Torrance had anything to do with Spencer Brown. I don't either. I think taking Osiris Torrance was two things. You really liked the player and you really liked the potential for the player mm-hmm. down the road. And I agree. I don't really think it has anything to do with Spencer Ford. I will say this though. Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown. Sorry. Spencer. Yeah. I will say this though. I think it's a little bit easier to scheme help for tackles than it is for interior pressure. And I think that was an area where they really, they really got beat kind of all over the offensive line last year, but especially with um, Roger Saffold. Yes. Like, really inconsistently. Mitch Morris was good, but besides that, Ryan Bates was, I'd say, pretty good, but not unbelievable. So I think they want to kind of shore up the middle of that line, which makes sense given the McGovern signing. And mm-hmm. it also makes sense given using a second round pick on someone who is strictly a guard. All right. Before we head out of here, I got a, something for you. So you got, I'll say it, zero zilch nada. That's A, how many sacks Osiris Torrance allowed in college. Mm-hmm. Also, how many penalties he had last year, which is amazing. It's also how many running backs the Bills drafted. Zero. No running backs. They didn't draft one after all this talk. I am not surprised by this, Matt. I didn't think that they were going to be looking for a running back. It wouldn't have surprised me, I guess, if they drafted one late. Never thought they were necessarily in the market for one early. And I'm not shocked they didn't draft one late. They'll find them on the open market in the UDFA class. They always do. And it's not something the Bills value so highly to take in the first round or I mean, they did take James Cook. I understand that. I think that was more for a specialty role, and now he's going to be, it looks like, the lead running back. But you get the point I'm saying. No running backs. Are you surprised at all? No, I'm not shocked. I I wouldn't have been shocked, though, if they did draft a running back, just because I do think you would probably be looking for life after Damian Harris on the one-year contract of somebody who you could pair with James Cook to kind of Mm -hmm. be the 1B to James Cook if he's the 1A. So I wouldn't have been shocked if they did it. I also wouldn't have like complained if they did it unless it was in the first round. But given the players that were selected and where they were selected, I don't really think the opportunity ever, ever really came up either. Like, I don't think there was ever really a tough decision that they had to make internally to say, okay, we're going to take this guy, even though we really like this running back. I, I bet they liked Bijan Robinson a lot. I, I bet they liked Gibbs a lot. Sure. They're not going to take him in the first round, or at least I didn't think they would. I, think, I bet they like Jack Campbell a lot. I don't, I'm not convinced they would have taken him in the first round. I think that they you know, have their guys. I mean, you like, you like a lot of guys doesn't mean you're going to take them necessarily. What do you, what do you feel is best for your team? All right. I go ahead. I want to, I want to add one thing. So yeah. I talked to Brandon Bean on Thursday before the first round started on <clears> name dropper, name dropper. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. No big deal. No big deal. And I came away from that conversation less convinced they were going to add a linebacker. Mm-hmm. And then after witnessing everything that happened over the weekend, and then his conversation that we had at the end of the draft, I really do think that they're comfortable with the linebackers yeah. that they have. Like I, I, I mean, I agree. Sanders, even if fans are, I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Like my dad came over today for dinner and we nice. were sitting here and he was saying, man, I, I just think they should have tried to get Drew Sanders. I didn't care if they would have had six picks. I would have been happy if they would have traded up to get that guy too. And I'm like, I I hear your point. It's valid. Like we spent a lot of time talking about Drew Sanders and Jack Campbell specifically, but they feel like they didn't need those guys. Cause I think if they did, 
they would have made those moves. So, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I they think they did draft a linebacker, and that was, you know, Dorian yeah. Williams. So, in, they in, did in these, add a guy. In these situations, I feel like you almost just kind of have to trust. You don't have to agree with everything, but you got to trust that they believe in those guys. That doesn't mean you have to love everything they do, though. That doesn't mean you can't be critical. Like, I, you know, the well, Dorian Williams one was a little weird to me, but I don't know a lot about Tulane football. So here we are. Well, guess what? If you're listening to this on Monday, we're going to have somebody from Tulane football on the radio on the Extra Point Show talk about Dorian Williams. We're also going to have somebody from Covers the Florida Gators talk about the two Florida Gators they drafted. We're also going to have somebody from Ole Miss talk about Nick Broker. We're, we're doing some work here, baby. So make sure you listen to those interviews and find out more about those players. And um, also... And also, I know for a lot of people who are listening to this, you've probably very much been in draft mode. Totally get it. But now let's shift to schedule mode. Yes, yes. And, we, and we've got the perfect podcast for you. Our interview with Mike North, we posted last week. So when I say last week, I'm meaning the week before the draft. Yep. But I also saw the day after the draft. So Sunday morning, Adam Schefter put out something that said, it sounds like the dra- the schedule is going to be made available on May 11th. So we've got about a week and a half here to really get juiced up for the schedule. So if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, it. it's a little bit tough to say, like we highly recommend it because of course we do. We did the podcast. We're a little bit more invested in this than anybody else, but I've had some really good feedback from people. Oh yeah. So hopefully they're not just pumping our tires and hopefully they took some value out of it. So go check it out if you haven't already. iTunes, Spotify, Odyssey, everywhere that you pod, you're going to find that. The Mike North interview, we also, I've had a lot of great feedback as well. So thank you all who've downloaded it, who've listened to it and whatever platform. And also, of course, on the YouTube channel at Cell Sports. I'm just bummed. I'm not bummed. It's just It just happens to be coming out the night. I'll actually be at a fundraiser that night. So hopefully the leaks take care of the whole thing before I have to worry about, you know, not seeing the schedule while I'm there or checking it on my phone and all those kinds of things. Well, right. I was going to say most days, most years, we'll usually have most of the schedule by, what, 5, 6 o'clock? With the leaks that come out and people piecing it together, Yes, and we usually get a few primetime games and international games officially announced anyway before that. Yes, indeed. Anything else you want to mention before uh, we put a bow on the the draft and the weekend? I just want to say thanks to our great producer, Lucas Buckley, once again. He always does a great job, and he's doing the audio and the video portion for us behind the scenes. So thank you very much, Lucas. Thank you, Lucas. Um, thank you to Bill's PR for feeding us yes. all weekend. We Love don't it. take that. We don't take that lightly. I know there's no. a lot of, you know, seriously, I, I'm I'm not even like, exaggerating here it's it's really thoughtful of them to take care of us and we appreciate that so thank you to them a lot um, of media you. members had to go to the gym on sunday i'll just say that yeah indeed um <laughs> and yeah that's we pretty much it, it. we were just, feeling it like hey man thank you very much that's right they do a really good job of that i i uh, i agree with you all right matt uh get us out of here will you yeah thank you everybody for listening to another episode of it's always game day in buffalo we will have more for you later on in the week as we get ready for this schedule time and then uh it sounds like it's going to be rookie minicamp time uh, a couple weeks down the road into mid-may and then after that we've got minicamp and then mandatory minicamp and otas and all this stuff so just when you think things are going to slow down au contraire they're going to actually speed up for sale capaccio everybody i'm matt bovey like subscribe and we'll see you next time